for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 125, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is my good friend and inspiration, John O'Leary. John is a popular speaker and author, and he has a life story that is truly remarkable. When John was nine years old, he suffered burns over 100% of his body, and um when he got to the hospital, his doctors gave him a 1% chance of living. John did live, went on to have a remarkable life, and with no fingers can actually play the piano. He truly is one of the most inspirational authors and speakers you will ever come across. John is the author of the book In Awe, which was a number one national bestseller. He also wrote an incredible book called On Fire. And um, you can get both of those on his website, johnolearyinspires.com. You can follow him on Twitter, and I strongly suggest that you do. He really is one of the most remarkable people you're ever going to learn about. John has a very popular podcast called John O'Leary Live Inspired, as well as a very robust blog. As well as being a very popular author and speaker, John has been married to his wife, Beth, and they have four kids. I know you're going to love this podcast. As always, I'll share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And remember, don't just download the episodes. Please click subscribe because then you can join my parenting revolution and every new episode will show up in your subscribe list. I promise you won't regret it. And please leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. Also, the PGK podcast is on iTunes, Google Play Store, and on Stitcher. Friends, I also want to let you know that I have a new free webinar. It is called When No Doesn't Work. It's about how and why to discipline kids in a fun, simple manner that works. Go to my website and sign up for When No Doesn't Work at meekerparenting.com. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 125. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation that I had with John O'Leary. Friends, you're going to love this. Well, I'm so excited to have on my podcast my friend, uh, John O'Leary. John, thanks so much for joining me today. Dr. Meg Meeker, my friend, it is an honor to be on the show. You know, I will tell you, every time around you or we talk, I walk away feeling so inspired. Inspired, and I think that our audience is going to know exactly what I'm talking about uh, in a couple of minutes here as you get going. But you have written an awesome new book, and I'm and we're going to dig into it. Um, and it came out a couple months ago. It's called In Awe: Rediscovering Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy. Who doesn't want? <laughs> 
that. Um, and so your, your real mission in life, I could be wrong, so correct me, your real mission in life is just to kind of ignite passion, inspire people, give them hope and say, don't focus on everything that's going wrong in your life. Let's turn and focus on, on what is good and run with it. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. You're absolutely right. And it's a lesson that I've seen effective around me from leaders who are growing businesses or families, growing spiritually, growing physically in their own life. But it's also one that I experienced just growing up, watching my mom and dad do life together, the way they were able to pivot from the negativity and guide their marriage, guide their parenting, guide their lives and their community forward toward opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds make so much like Pollyanna, like, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not. It isn't. No, no. It's for your health and for your faith and for your life. But it's so hard to do, you know, because because your work is hard. And yet inspiring people to live above and beyond how they're living. And I don't and I mean, in a positive, healthy, happy way, we may know the steps, but they're really hard to do. It's kind of like, you know, the two greatest commandments are the hardest to fulfill. Love the Lord your God and then love others as yourself. And I feel like, yeah, once I get those, I'll move on. But it's hard to do. Um, I want our audience to get to know you a little bit. Um, the fact that you wrote a book on living in awe of life is remarkable considering uh, how you've lived your life. Can you give our audience the two-minute version of um, where your life was and where you've come? Yeah. You know, so I'm going to begin in an area you probably weren't expecting. At age 27, I was as ordinary a guy as you can imagine, trying to do ordinary things and to disappear into the world. And I wanted to be like everybody else. And Meg and I are friends, so she knows the backstory. But Meg, I had never told anybody how I was burned as a kid up until that point. I'd never told anybody, not a soul. Really? Really? Because... The thing is, and we'll talk about it here in a moment, but after being burned in the house fire and after being burned on 100% of my body in that fire and 87% of my body, third degree burns and losing my fingers to amputation and uh, several dozen surgeries and years of therapy and time in the hospital, my dream was not to be extraordinary once mm-hmm. I got out of all of this. It wasn't to be a speaker or a podcast host or a, an author. It was to just disappear. I just wanted to be like everybody else. I was sick of being stared at and sick of being in the spotlight for something I didn't want. I didn't want to be burned. And so I spent the majority of my life trying to fit in and trying to be ordinary. And uh, I did all that pretty well, actually. And so when you were 27, you told, started telling your story. Why? Why at 27? (laughs) It's twofold. Number one is my dad has Parkinson's disease. He lost his job. So he came home and prayed about his life. And my mom and and my dad wrote a book called Overwhelming Odds. Mm -hmm. It's the story of their little boy named John who got burned terribly in a house fire and how the community and the church and the country, President Reagan wrote letters to John and Pope John Paul II wrote letters to John and people were planting trees in Israel Mm -hmm. for John. It became this global movement for this little boy. And it's a story we as a family had never talked about. So I I read this, and it was so deeply moving to see this story that we'd always viewed as being a negative story. You know, Mm -hmm. losing fingers and scars and, oh, the pain, as actually one that was life-giving. So that's part of it. And the second piece is there was a little girl in our community whose mother had bought the book. There were only 100 copies sold. 
But her mother had bought the book and she read it. And so this little girl one day when I'm 27 calls my cell phone and says, Mr. O'Leary, would you speak to my troop? She's oh, a girl. her Girl Scout troop. So I, call, I, I uh, said when she asked that, oh, I think you want to have my dad. Are you looking for Mr. O'Leary? And she goes, I am, but I think I'm looking for you. <laughs> so so I, you know, no one had ever called me Mr. O'Leary up until that point. So I, I said, yes, you know, Meg, I try to live yes in my life. So I said, yes, I'll, I'll do it. I'd never told anyone how I was burned. I'd never spoken before publicly. Totally freaked out by this whole experience. I got sick in the parking lot on the walk into this little school Looked down at my notes, never looked up at the uh, at those three little monsters lined up eating their Samoas. <laughs> That's my first keynote, man. So my first keynote. And you never forget your foe first. And one of the dads in the room was a, a Rotarian. So he invited me to speak to his Rotary Club. And then it was on from there. And over the last 15, 16 years, we've spoken a couple thousand times in front of a couple million people live. Mm-hmm. Just saying yes to, in my mind, in my faith view, God's calling on our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it really it is extraordinary um, that coming from such a, a tough history and, um, you know, a um, horrible thing happening to you that so much inspiration um, came forward. Um, in your book, In Awe, what is your personal goal? Hmm. So I wrote a book four years before this called On Fire. You and I have talked about that before. And when we're at the Ramsey event, you've heard me speak specifically to that. And it's about waking up from accidental living. And it's about using these explosions that can blow you back in life to ultimately blow you forward. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the genesis of my my, my first book. And I, I love it. I love the work we did there. And I would travel around, Meg, into these beautiful conference centers and hotels, beautiful summits and live events. And I'd see our attendees in the first row sitting there with their arms crossed, just kind of kind of vaguely malaised and bothered and beat down by life. And I'd see them checking into high-end hotels, kind of bothered that there were two people in line in front of them at mm. this incredible resort. And they're bothered that the flight was 15 minutes or that cell phone wasn't turning on right away. And when I'm out of town traveling, I always leave these big, cool events to speak to school kids. Mm-hmm. I love in, in, engaging with these kids in schoolhouses. So I'd leave these places where adults were beat down by life and I'd walk into these school buildings where these kids would come skipping into the classroom. And when I asked a question, every single hand in the classroom would go up. And then afterwards, rather than people kind of going back to their days, they would skip up to the front of the classroom and they would, they would give Mr. O'Leary a hug and we would fully engage in life. And sometimes they would ask questions like, hey, what happened to your hands? Mm-hmm. You know, But instead of hiding from what concerns us as adults or not being sure of how to ask the questions, they would come right up to it. They they would not be judgmental. You know, Jesus says, let the children come to me. Let the children come to me. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an age requirement. It's this mentality. It's this openness of heart and mindset that allows people to engage with things around them they may not understand. But in coming into it with an open heart, it allows you to meet the other right where they are. It's not him versus me. Mm-hmm. Them versus us. It's one family. It's one family. Kids get this. Mm-hmm. And so I saw this taking place in the marketplace, and then I would come home and I would see my own kids lit up and in awe for life. And I wondered, man, why are these kids so excited for life? And why do we feel beat down by it? 
Why are we way more judgmental? Why, why do we have a negative view of our futures? Why do we feel cut off? Cigna ran a national study and found that 56% of people felt as if they were doing life completely by themselves. That was when was it, that? 2018, and it went up 5% to 61% in 2019. Can you imagine what it's going to be in 2020? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the year, cancel out and X out. So I, I see the way we as adults are handling life, seeing the way that kids are stepping into the day. And then I want to extend an invitation for us to return to that childlike awe, that mindset that would, would allow us to connect more authentically and more vibrantly to the challenges and the opportunities in front of us right now. You know, I think you're absolutely right because you, like I, um, talk to parents or I talk to parents and then you see the kids and there's a huge difference. And I'm often very envious of the kids. And yet I get, and then I get kind of cynical saying, well, they haven't been beaten up by life or they, they're not in a rut because they don't have a real job or whatever it is. But those are all excuses, really. I, I think we're we're afraid of, you know, opening ourselves up and afraid of seeking the impossible and afraid of living in awe, maybe because we're afraid we're going to be let down. Mm. Your your first chapter, you talk about achieving the impossible, which I love, and asking the questions, what if and why not? What if and why not? Tell us what you mean by achieving the impossible. Impossible, and how how does that relate to our lives? So let's back into those of us who have children. I know you have, I believe, five grandchildren. Maybe you serve patients as a a pediatric doctor or nurse. Maybe you have nephews or nieces, or maybe you've you've seen children at some point along your days. So so we fit into one of these boxes. When we're with kids, a walk to the mailbox should take you know 19 seconds. It takes them an hour and a half because they're turning over every petal. They're yeah. looking up at the clouds. They're in awe. First time living. It's all new experiences. So it's a cool experience for them to simply walk outside. And as they journey forward, they're, they're stopping every couple steps asking questions. Kids ask a, a ton of questions. And I think we adults sometimes ask questions as well, but we frequently ask them from a place of um, – Almost like cynicism. Mm-hmm. You called us out a little while ago, Meg, this idea of being a little bit more cynical. You're right. And I think that that's what I see in a lot of parents is this sort of sense that their kids are disconnected from them. Their jobs are kind of boring. And they feel like, you know, where do I go? Is this all there is? And they also feel this sense of being stuck. There's nothing they can do about it. Mm-hmm. They feel their kids don't want to be with them, which is not true. They feel they can't connect with their kids, which is not true. And that their jobs are always going to be awful, which may or may not be true. But you're absolutely right. Because I found what you're talking about, you know, walking to the mailbox and having kids turn over every rock, exactly what happens with me when I'm walk on walks with my grandkids. Mm-hmm. But how can a adults slow down and get into that child's mind so that we see what's around us because because our lives are so busy and I really believe that you know whatever people think is going on in our culture to make us so cynical maybe it's the media or whatever we feel like the world's going to end how do we how do we revert back and be filled with wonder Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, that's generally the, the the thesis of the entire book. And so I'm, I'm going to lay out for you right now the five senses that children have. And then we can go as deep 
or as narrow into any, any of them as you'd like. But the very first sense that kids have is this, the gift, the sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. Wonder. So we'll come back to that here in a moment. They also are fully immersed in every experience every day. So immersion is the next sense. Expectancy. They have this profound sense of looking forward to the day. Like <laughs> one of the stories I tell in the book is the story of my boy, Henry. He's my third born. He's uh Gosh, he is a handful. He is what we call today spirited. Spirited. So they're in the old <laughs> yeah. use different words to describe a spirited child, but now mm. we refer to them positively as spirited. He's yeah. wildly spirited. So I'm tucking him into bed just after Christmas. This is when he's probably four or five years old. And he says, Daddy, when's my birthday? When's my birthday? Okay, so his birthday is December 11th. Okay. So I explained to him, gosh, Henry, it's about 300 and, I don't know, 55 days out. So he thinks about this for a moment, and then he claps his hands together and says, Daddy, that's awesome. When we wake up tomorrow, can we start a countdown calendar? He's got almost a full year. He just opened up Christmas presents and his birthday presents, and he's getting ready to wake up the following day to begin the countdown calendar for the next birthday party. That's one way to go through life. (laughs) It is, yeah. Most adults don't, and yet most doctors, Meg, would remind us of the power of expectancy. We call it the placebo effect. There's a gift in expecting great things from your doctor, from your spouse, from your day, from your God, from life. Mm -hmm. So kids expect great things. Do we? I don't mean it was your latte made perfect. I mean, are you expecting to show fully at service for the day? Mm-hmm. fully engage in every experience that's going to t- take place and transpire throughout the day. That's what children do. It's mm-hmm. expectancy. The fourth piece is around the gift of belonging. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that Cigna study. Most recently, 61% of us feel as if we have no one to do life with. This in a marketplace where we are all hyper-connected to everybody. We know everything going on with everybody around us. And yet somehow almost two thirds of us feel as if we're doing life by ourselves, which has led last year to 1.5 million Americans attempting suicide. This is chronic. It is a pandemic. It's a pandemic. It is a pandemic, yeah. And then the final gift that we can talk about in the book is the gift of freedom, the sense of freedom, being fully, you know, our friend Dave Ramsey can talk a lot about freedom. It's not necessarily making more. It's understanding what real freedom looks like in the first place. Mm-hmm. And kids understand that. Kids, kids have that. So th- those are some of the things that kids do that we could talk about you and I together. Yeah. But, but one thing that will not help you is being hypersensitive to what's taking place in the marketplace of life. If we are on the 24-hour news cycle, if we are piped in always to social media, it's no wonder that we feel so negative about the way our life is going, the way society is trending. Mm-hmm. The, the, the numerical stuff does not back this up. But the headlines would tell you that your life is just about to end, more at 10 o'clock. It's fear driven. And so just to be hypersensitive to uh, what you put into your mind will influence your body. You know, I'm, I agree with you about fear and I'm constantly telling parents, um, parents out of strength, not fear because parents are so fear based, you know, something horrible is going to happen to their kid. Um, And that's why we have helicopter parents because we want to make sure the kids are doing it right. And if not, we're going to take over. Um, And, and, and so that's really important. Talking about expectancy, there's a fine, maybe there isn't a fine line, but I want you to describe the difference between expecting for your phone to work, expecting for the plane to be on time, expecting that you're going to make enough money versus expecting 
goodness and greatness. What's the difference between unhealthy expectancy and healthy expectancy? So I think it's all about where the pressure is. Is it on the barista to make me a better cup of coffee or is it on me to enjoy whatever is served my way all day long? Mm -hmm. And for me, and it's a story I unpack in the book, in 2016, we wrote my, my first book. And what that led to was the busiest year of my life professionally, which was so beautiful in so many ways. That's where Meg, you and I became friends the first time yeah. back in 2016. It also led me away from some of the parts of my life that ought to be most important spiritually, family. I'm the head of a household. I have four kids to raise. I'm a husband. Mm -hmm. And so in 2017, I made a commitment to make sure that at least one of those things would become far more of a focus in that year, expectancy. Okay, expectancy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting it from others. I was expecting it from myself. And so for me, the focus was on my marriage. Mm -hmm. It was on my marriage. I wanted to be the best husband ever in 2017. And the way I got there actually was on January 1, I bought a journal, leather bound, a lot of pages within it. Mm -hmm. And I began with the journal entry, Dear Beth. My wife's name is Beth, by the way, Dear Beth. And then all day long, I looked for something beautiful that she said that she did for me. She did for our kids. She wore, she did for a neighbor, She a prayer she offered, whatever it might have been. Just one beautiful thing about Beth. And then when I saw it, mm, there it is. So I captured it in writing. And then I said, Lo love John. I didn't tell her I was doing this. On January 2, I did it again. January 3, again. January 4, again. Sometimes I had to do this from the road. Pay attention for something that she was doing that was beautiful, that was servant-oriented, that was making my kids better, that was making me better, that was doing something for herself, finally. Servant in the community. All these things she did so beautifully. But the year before, I was missing in the race through life. Now I'm expecting it. 2017, up until that point in our marriage, was by far the best year of our marriage. Not because I wanted her to do more for me. Not because I wanted her to give me more attention. It was by far the best year of our marriage because I was paying close attention to the beauty that was already innately within her, the things she already was. And it was allowing me to be far more alert to it, more responsive to it, more complimentary around it, and ho hopefully more responsive in providing it back to her. So I think that's expectancy in action. I gave her the book on Christmas morning. By the oh. way, she had 60 journal entries in. She had no idea I was doing this. And uh, when she opened up the journal, she saw this coffee-stained, you know, beat-down thing that had been everywhere twice. And after she read a few journal entries, she realized what, what I was doing here. And she said, why'd you do it? Why, why'd you do this? Mm. I told her I wanted to attract the good. I just wanted to attract the good. Mm -hmm. That's expectancy. Yeah. When you're expecting it not for your own self-interest, how the pumpkin lattes should taste, mm -hmm. but because life is good. And if you don't, you're going to miss the blessing that is in front of you. It's already in front of you. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with John O'Leary. We need to take a quick break, but please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. Well, I love the fact that you put it on yourself and I, and you, and you write about this that a lot of parents miss out. We don't have that expectancy of ourselves to sort of say, okay, what am I noticing about my 
child today? What are they doing? How are they good? And I think we just don't see. We don't see. You know, and parents always say, my kids don't want anything to do with me. And I said, well, that's because you're not paying any attention. You're not listening. You're telling them what to do. You're you're telling them they need to this and this and this and how's how, this is how to improve. But if anything, as parents, I think we've really cut ourselves off from our kids like you did from Beth that year you were really busy. Yeah. And we our kids pay a terrible price. So what would you say to parents about how they can, we talk about an immersion too, but how they can um, really be more present with their kids? I, I think we need to take our own medicine. Mm-hmm. So we are hyper-connected to technology. I see so many families, so many friends, so many loved ones, including family members who are tuning into your show right now, Meg, <laughs> yeah. who have in their right hands constantly something called a cell phone. And I understand sometimes you, you need to be on, in particular for the single parents right now who are trying to manage work and homeschool and life and sanity, and it is impossible. These mm-hmm. are very difficult days. But when you're home, be home. When you're working, work. I always think when you work, work like a dog. When you're at home, they'll play like a puppy. Yeah. You can't do both at the same time. And kids are paying attention. Oh, yeah. As no surprise when they're like, well, you do it, mom. You do it, dad. You're never present at the dinner table. You're always looking down at your phone. You're always responding to emails after hours. You're always doing this, Dad. So I I say have a little bucket in your kitchen where when you come in through that back door, if you're working right now, perfect, put the phone away and then expect the same from your spouse and from your children. Right. And then expect to improve your relationship. You know, expect to find something great in that kid and then say it like you did with Beth. I love that. You know, that journal thing, every husband out there needs to hear what you just did. I'm going to tell my husband about that. Hey, you need to keep a journal about me. It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I will tell parents, kids hate their parents' cell phone. When their parent walks in the house and a parent is looking down or answering emails that do not have to be answered then or responding to a text, the child feels so unimportant and and invisible. So I I just wanted to reiterate that point there. Um, Let's talk about, um, you know, something else that you were talking about your book. I I guess we've sort of covered, you know, immersion pretty well. Um, But anyway, um, a suggestion also on the, on the, uh, the way to see your children, you challenge the husbands in the room. And there are many tuning into you right now. I, I challenge the wives. Yeah. I challenge the wives to do the same for their partners, their husbands, and then for the parents. Gosh, we do a phenomenal job of critiquing what they're doing wrong or how they don't quite measure up to the neighbor's kid and the schools that we're not getting into and the, the way they're not progressing on the athletic field and all this nonsense that at the end of the day does not matter at all. Right. It does not matter whatsoever. Track the stuff that does, track their beauty, and in doing so, it will multiply around you. They will feel that love. They will feel that unconditional love that you are offering them. And I think they will ultimately naturally grow into the child that God has intended for them to become, not the kid that you wish they would be. Let them become the kid that God has intended for them to to become. And that can be hard because a lot of times your kid goes a path or turns out the way you don't want, or maybe they're a very different person. It's hard for parents to expect if kids don't stay in the mold or the track that the parent has for them. So how can we, in, for our kids, um, in this day of 
uh, in cr- extreme isolation. And I will tell you, I see kids with depression, anxiety, and you were talking about kids connected to screens. We do know now that there's a direct link between the amount of time girls spend on social media and depression. It, it mm. It's overwhelming. And then with COVID now, kids are very lonely. They feel very isolated. They're not with their friends. What can parents do to help their kids feel as though they belong in the family. There's a place for them. Gosh, so I'm going to give you a couple bullets and then use whatever works best for you and your family. The very first, I would consider you to, you to begin with the end in mind. Years and years ago, I, I served as a hospital chaplain and walked into a patient's room. The guy was a successful business owner, but he was dying by himself. Oh. There was no family around. He had offered all that up on the, uh, the altar of success. And Meg, he shared something with me that I'll never forget. He said, John, I've climbed to the very tippity top of the ladder. I've reached the ultimate success only to realize that I had my ladder leaned against the wrong wall. Mm. And as a guy who frequently is climbing, and I would imagine many of your listeners um, can agree with me, we're frequently moving forward up the ladder of life. Gosh, I think nothing would be worse than to become successful at the end of the days at the stuff that just does not matter. So let, let's have cool conversations, authentic, honest conversations as a family on, around what what is success? What does it look like to be a successful human being as we progress forward? And that's going to be different for all of us, but it can lead to a really beautiful life-giving conversation at the dinner table. So that's the first idea. The second would be frequently at the dinner table, we're looking down into our phones and we're not having a dinner table conversation to begin with. So we always have a, a dinner time conversation together. The phones are off, the t- television's off. We begin with three things. Number one is prayer. So I think it's a really cool way to ground ourselves on how blessed we are. The second thing as a family we talk about is what are you grateful for? Mm-hmm. Henry, Patrick, Grace, Jack, wife, husband, what are you grateful for today? Mm-hmm. And so we, we then make a list of things that we're grateful for. And sometimes it's tugging, it's pulling teeth to get there. Yeah. And, and then the final thing we do as a family to stay centered is we talk about wh- where did you see kindness today? Mm-hmm. Or if that doesn't work for you, where were you kindness for someone else today? Mm-hmm. And I learned this from a a, a business owner friend of mine who says even today that her kids are in their late 30s. They still, they call mom every day. She's in her her early 60s. And they share with mom where they were kindness for someone else today. This little dinner table conversation that began decades earlier continues to be lived up by healthily adjusted young adult children even today. Mm -hmm. So these patterns we form with our children can inform not only how they feel about themselves today. What are you grateful for? It's not all bad. Mm-hmm. What are you thankful for? That's a great place to start. Where did you seek kindness? Or now in action, where were you kindness for others? Those are some really cool ways that we can recognize our dignity is not based upon someone's like of our social post, but about our, our design. We were designed innately beautiful. We did a little bit of research in the book, Meg, and the likelihood of you being built, being born biologically. When you add up what your mother brought to the table and your father brought to the table, we can have a biological after hours conversation later on. But if you just do the math on what mom and dad bring to the table, the DNA, the likelihood of you being born as you are is less than one in 400 trillion. So the very fact that you are alive, man, it is Nothing short of a shocking miracle that ought to have you skipping out of bed saying, thank you, God, every single day. And as we look into our phones at the headlines bringing us down, we forget it. 
So I just, I, I beg your listeners and me to take this medicine, put the phone away, recognize the divinity of your life, man. Mm-hmm. You're a miracle. Now act like it. Mm-hmm. Take inventory of what you have. Take inventory of where you see kindness taking place around you and then become part of that movement going forward. You know, you're so right. I get often asked by parents questions like this. You know, my child is very self-centered. My child isn't very nice to other people. My child has a bad temper. Um, My child is just negative all the time. Or my child is depressed. What can I do? And, you know, often the, the answer is so simple that you're talking about. And I say this, try to get your child out of his head. Yes. You know, Get him to stop thinking about himself. And one of the best ways to do that is to find something he's grateful for every day, you know, and like you said, kindness. And also find somebody in the community, anybody who needs something that day. And it's so easy. And then ask them, you know, go with them at first if they don't want to do it. You know, go to your neighbor and knock on the door. Well, it's it's hard now. Wear a mask and knock on her window, I guess, and say, hey, you know, I, I, I baked some bread for you today. Or do you need your lawn mowed? Or can I shovel your driveway? Or can I pick up your kids and take them somewhere? But just that makes kids so happy to know that they, they're not thinking about themselves all the time. They're thinking about other people and they're finding gratitude, things to be grateful for and, you know, exhibiting some kindness. If you get your kids in the pattern of doing that, and I would challenge every parent for one month, you know, every day have your kid tell you something that they're grateful for, kindness they saw, and a way they found to help another person. At the end of 30 days, you're going to have a different child. You, you really will see the transition in them. We, we, without a doubt, Meg, you're absolutely right. And, and we do things like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, mm-hmm. which is an organization that I think helps heal so many of the social ills that are currently popping up all around us. Around race, around socioeconomical challenges, around graduation rates, around breaking down walls that don't need to be there because you don't know the other people. They don't know you and you don't know them. And then you come around the table together as a family and you realize we're one. We, we saw our little brother, his name is Cal. We saw him yesterday as a family. And it takes these four fortunate, privileged kids away from their PlayStation on a Sunday you know, Sunday afternoon when they're just doing their lives all by themselves, they're thinking about their world into a world that is really needing them to fully engage in it. And we, we brought a little picnic lunch out to this family. We had dinner together from about 12 feet apart. And we did life together with this family that we otherwise may not see in the race through life. Mm-hmm. And they did dinner with a family that they may not see in the race through their life. And it, I think because of it, all of us are better. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just about changing the perspective, you know, Rick Warren wrote a book that did fairly well called The Purpose Driven Life. I think it's the third best-selling book of all time. Yeah. And it begins with the, the sentence, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And our whole life, if you're honest about it, and some of your listeners are like, I don't feel this way, John. You don't have me figured out. Fine. But I have your neighbor figured out. Most of us think life is about us. And that's why we throw the latte back in the face when it doesn't taste just right of, of the barista who made it poorly. That's why you see so much ridiculous behavior right now in the marketplace and why you see this cancel culture. Because if it doesn't fit into what we're doing, they're wrong. And I'm mm-hmm. done with them. It's about us. Mm-hmm. But Rick reminds us, this great pastor, it's not about you. It's not about you. 
It's about ultimately how we can use the talents that God has given you for a cause so much greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when we get that figured out, not only will we be better leaders of life, our kids are going to follow suit. So one of the most important things that we as parents can do, and I think it's a very important takeaway, is first we need to look at ourselves and say, okay, how are we living this? You know, are we grateful people? Are we people who are looking around and trying to help our neighbor and not thinking about ourselves all the time, but thinking about other people and then being a model for our kids? And I will say my husband did this beautifully growing up because he did a ton of mission work and he brought the kids with him and they loved going as a matter of fact when they came back to the united states they couldn't go into grocery stores for a couple weeks they felt overwhelmed by all the stuff that was available and i i just think it's so important and i and i would challenge any parent who has a teenager who won't get out of the room from one in the afternoon till six at night you know Tell them, just say to them, you know what, on Thursday afternoon, I want you to go with me because I want your company. We're going to go, you know, see this person or we're going to go work on a Habitat for Humanity house. How fun is that? I mean, go pound nails with your kid. There's so much in your community that you can do. My guest has been John O'Leary, one of the most inspiring people in the whole country, probably in the world. You have to read his book in awe. Discover your childlike wonder to unleash inspiration, meaning, and joy. And John, if there's ever a time we needed it, it's today. It's right now. It's when everybody feels like kind of life is crumbling around them. Know that it isn't. You know, it's not about us. And there is good ahead. And there is hope ahead. Um, and there is joy. John, how can people find out more about you, your podcast, your website, your books? Where can yeah. they go? <laughs> so let, let me just remind you that 2,700 years ago, someone far wiser than John O'Leary said <laughs> that there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah. There is nothing new under the sun. So as you read these headlines and we keep hearing the word unprecedented, never before, just realize, man. There's nothing new under the sun. So these are indeed difficult days, but this too shall pass. The foundation is firm and the best is yet to come. We we know how the story ends. So have faith, grab your joy and, and don't lose sight of where we're going next. As far as how we can stay in touch together, probably the easiest website to remember is read in awe.com. I love it. So go to read in You can learn about our podcast there, our social media links there, the stuff that we've written in the past there, a whole lot of free giveaways there, including my email. So if I can do anything for any of your listeners or their families, we want to do life together. That's that's our goal. Like The reason when Meg says he's one of the most inspirational guys she's ever met is not because John's all that inspirational. I'm reflecting the goodness that has been given to me in multiples. And we're trying to give a little bit of that back. And so if I can ever make a difference for someone in the community right now that needs a friend, needs a next step, needs an encouragement, needs a prayer partner, we're in. So um, I'm looking forward to doing life with your listeners. And you are in. You are one who knows exactly what's in your book. You are immersed. You are expectant. And um, you teach people how to belong. So, John, thank you for what you do. Thank you for joining me on my podcast. And I encourage every single listener to read your book in awe because you will be inspired. Thanks so much. Love you, Meg. Thank you for the chance. Love you, too. Now on to my points to ponder. One, ask 
why not? You know, often we think of things that we want to do or that we want to ask, but we don't because we think the things are unrealistic and they're not going to work. Kids don't do this. You know, they live with a great sense of wonder. They ask questions. They believe they can do things that we think they won't be able to do. They dream and they walk into those dreams. We need to learn to live more like our kids do. We need to see potential goodness in everything we do. And when we wonder about things, we need to encourage ourselves and others to ask, why not, rather than why. Two, bring your glove. As John says in his book, his son always brings his baseball mitt to a ball game. Why does he do this? Because he hopes that today just might be the day that the baseball will land in his. Sure, it's a one in a million chance that will happen, but he doesn't care. He lives like it might happen anyway. So let me ask you, do you bring your glove to opportunities, work, family, personal opportunities, believing that that one in a million dream you have of something happening just might. Again, we need to change our thinking and go for that one in a million chance, just like kids do. Three, look up. You know, so many times we're present with our kids, but we're not really present. You know, we go to their games, we eat meals with them, we play a game, we watch TV, or maybe even go outside and kick a soccer ball around. But the truth of the matter is, while we may physically be present, many times we are not mentally and emotionally present. Why? Because we're looking down at what? Our cell phones. We're checking our emails, we're texting somebody, looking at a video. Friends, put your phones away and look up. See your kids, pay attention to what they're doing, get engaged in the activities that they're doing around you. Try this for one month and I promise you won't believe the positive change it's going to make in your relationship with your kids. Parents, you know I love answering your questions, so please keep sending them in to me. You can email me any question to ask Meg at megmeekermd.com. No question is off limits. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank my guest, John O'Leary, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about John, go to johnolearyinspires.com. johnolearyinspires.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and listen to his extraordinary podcasts. So let's recap my points to ponder. One, ask why not. Two, bring your glove. And three, look up. And friends, make sure to sign up for my brand new webinar, When No Stops Working. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. 
Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything. And leave us a review so we know how we're doing. Oh,